welcome to Phase Forever, episode five. I'm just getting so shit at this. We're like five episodes in. I already can't remember how many we've done. <laughs> I think it's episode five. Uh, it's me, it's Jack, and joining me, as always, is Rob White. He's escaped the void. He's escaped Alioth. He's, uh, Hello. He's, he's back from the void. Uh, yeah, well, how you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Very well. Very refreshed after my um, my time down south in a tent. Um, yeah, um, I, as we discussed, I, I kind of a uh, little bit of struggle watching this week's episode of Loki as I watched it on my phone, uh, but I did watch it. Um, so <laughs> you watched the one that you watched like the, the most visually impressive episode of Loki so far I know. on your phone. I, don't, I think I it's a crime. A choice. <laughs> I think it's a crime. I think we should ban you from all future episodes. But uh, no, I'm glad you had a good time, man. We were just talking for you out on there about how I desperately need a holiday. So, uh, well, I'm gonna try and get that arranged soon because I'm fucking sick of just sitting home. Yeah, um, do it, man. We're gonna talk about Loki episode five, which uh, for me topped last week uh, and was fantastic. Uh, Rob hasn't seen Black Widow yet, but I uh, have seen it twice now. Um, saw it at the cinema and watched it on Premier Access at home. Uh, nice. I think it's great. Uh, somebody give my thoughts about that. But before we do that, um, we we lost sort of a bit of a titan of cinema and a particular style of cinema this week. So on uh, July fifth, which I think was uh, Tuesday. Uh, Richard Donner died. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he is the director behind Superman the movie, the original, he did The Omen, um, he did Lethal Weapon, and he's a huge influence. He was, he was one of the executive producers on the first X-Men movie. He's been a huge, uh, huge influence on Kevin Feige, who's obviously the sort of father of the MCU. Um, I think he interned for him. Um, mm. We don't have a lot of the cinema we have now without the influence of, of Rich Donner. So just give us a, a brief, we, you know, we won't spend too long on it, but give us a brief sort of thoughts on what he means to you. Cause I know you mentioned to me in our, in our WhatsApp that you are, you are a big Lethal Weapon fan. I, I love Lethal Weapon. Um, I have strongly considered on more than one occasion to get a Lethal Weapon tattoo. Um, I love those films that much. I think as a, I think when I was growing up, I, I liked action films, but I wasn't hugely fond of comedies. Um, being an emo, depressed motherfucker, I just wanted, I wanted the bangs, but I wasn't bothered about the laughs. And Lethal Weapon was the film for me where the whole comedy cop action thing clicked. Like I'd seen Rush Hour and I'd seen other variations of that formula, even Beverly Hills Cop, which I know is heralded as, as you know, top tier of that kind of thing but lethal weapon for me um it, it clicked and, and that formula made sense and it, to be honest it, i haven't really enjoyed uh, action comedies of like that kind of period in terms of you know classic hollywood detective you know that that kind of thing um lethal weapon is is top tier action film and is hysterically funny um there is an edge to the first one that you could not replicate today, even if you tried. Um, whether it's because it was shot on film and we're so used to watching um, digitally shot films now, or whether it was just the, the I mean, the scene of um, Mel Gibson basically looking to shoot himself in the mouth really traumatized me as a child. Um, 
but um it's it's dark it's dark but it's really funny um and uh and it's it's amazing and you know what the sequels for me hold up uh two is probably my favorite um of the four i think three is probably my least favorite but not by much not by much at all um i love all of those films there are some problematic uses of um asian racism in number four um that are hugely problematic um but overall those films for me are they're, they're gold tier and richard donner as well um obviously at superman and superman 2 and i watched this really interesting thing um recently about the editing and the cutting that happened to superman 2 um the director's cut and the theatrical cut i think that he you're right he is he is a titan within within this and i didn't really know that much about um his influence on uh, the x-men series until you mentioned it previously and then i gave it a google and uh without x-men one i don't think that superhero films would be what they are today because before that point in time um they weren't taken that seriously and they weren't that good um I, I think that you might get your odd like blade here and there before that point in time but x-men really kind of set the stall out for franchises in terms of superheroes and that they can be more relatable to adults uh, and not just specifically targeted towards children and Richard Donner was instrumental towards that happening. So I guess we as uh, comic book fans, as superhero film fans, um, we owe him uh, something for that. And as I said, Lethal Weapon Man, uh, that film kicks fucking ass. Absolute ass. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I literally couldn't put it better than how you just summed up that. That was a, that was a very, very nice monologue um, about Richard Donner there. Um, right, thank you. I'm just going to go on a slight tangent there. So like you mentioned Blade. Blade obviously kicked off the incredible career of uh, Stephen Dorff, uh, who I'm sure everyone knows is a prestigious actor. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Stephen Dorff plays, is it Deacon Frost? Deacon Frost, the yeah, villain in Blade. He's the yeah. villain in the first Blade movie uh, and came out this week and just said the dumbest fucking shit about Black Widow and, and said that he thinks Scarlett Johansson should be embarrassed to do those movies. <laughs> two Oscar nominations and if I'm right it's the highest grossing actress of all time Stephen Dorff who has done nothing meaningful in his possibly 50 years of life so well done Stephen have you, congratulations have you looked at his IMDb because I've actually not I might I might you know I haven't but nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna break the sort of first rule of podcasting here and Google whilst we're whilst we're talking I don't feel like that's a rule um, um I feel like the, the fact of the matter is that neither of us could name another Stephen Dorff film. Okay, so, so he was in. I'm looking through it now, and I've seen I've seen Blade, and I've seen uh, Immortals, which is like a Greek fantasy film. I Henry, I fell asleep watching Immortals. It's um, um, yeah. If you, dear listener, if you go on IMDb and shoot um, for Stephen Dorff in there have a look through i mean this guy is claiming that uh that you know if you're in a superhero film basically you're you're fucked up um you're part of some form of nothing and you should create be creating art i i would challenge anyone to look at this list and find something that they've seen um and view as art because i mean he's, I... Always, he's on the lookout for the next kubrick that's what he said he wants to be directed by the young kid who's the next kubrick which is yeah. just astonishing considering he is the star of 
Leatherface and uh, American Hero, which are films, apparently. Yeah, yeah, so, he was Jack Carver in Far Cry, if anyone played that game. Yeah. Hold on, just this is a terrible podcast. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just reading Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, damn, he was as well. Yeah, yeah he was. Stephen Dorff. Yeah. Well done, Left a huge impact on me. I, <laughs> yeah, can, clearly. I remember placing his voice and thinking, man, that guy's a great actor. Oh, dear me. Uh, yeah, so we got off topic a little bit there. Uh, Richard Donner, amazing. Rest in peace. Thoughts to you, yeah. all your family. Uh, Stephen uh, Dorff, uh, go fuck yourself. I think that's a pretty good way to go. Um, cool. So before we get into Loki, uh, I'll give some brief thoughts on Black Widow. Like I said, I've seen it twice now. Um, it's really, it's really good. It's it's somewhere in the the middle of the MCU, which I think classifies as as pretty good movies. Um, in terms of in terms of sort of solo movies, it's not quite Thor Ragnarok or Black Panther or Winter Soldier. Um, but it, but it's good. It's got um, it's got a lot of great action in it. The performances are all really good, um, apart from maybe Ray Winston's terrible Russian accent. Yeah, I heard that. It's not great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 quite um, it's quite sort of Bond villainy. There's 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 quite a lot of similarity between this between Black Widow and, and Bond movies. Oh, cool. Um, which I thought was quite interesting. One of the things I want to mention is. Uh, in all previous Marvel movies we've seen, for the most part, particularly since sort of phase two onwards, um, we've had the Marvel Studios crawl and then it's just straight into the movie. Yeah. And then at the end, we have these sort of personalised uh, credit sequences. Then we, get an, then we get a mid-credit scene and then we have the full credits and then we typically have another scene. Um, with this, we have, a, we have like an opening scene and then it does like a almost like a James Bond style opening credits scene. Oh, cool. And it actually, it works really well. Um, and it sort of covers a lot of like, uh, one of the big thought themes of this movie, which I'm actually amazed they hit on was is child trafficking and particularly trafficking of young girls. Um, so it's this, it's this very haunting cover of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit um, over these like quite harrowing images of lots sort of young girls being trafficked. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. Um, but it's a, it's a, the opening to this movie is amazing. Um, but just brief thoughts. We're going to talk about it more next week once Rob's seen it. But uh, it's a great end for Scarlett Johansson. Um, Florence Pugh is an absolute superstar. Um, and she's clearly got a massive role in the MCU moving forward. Um, she's brilliant in this. David Harbour is, is great. He brings him and Florence Pugh bring a lot of the sort of comic relief without losing that emotion. Which I think Marvel movies have done in the past sometimes where, you know, we know there's going to be sort of quips and jokes in Marvel movies. And sometimes it, the sort of the emotion of it gets lost a bit. Um, I never really found that to be the case in this. There's, it's essentially a family drama um, sort of interspersed with lots of action. Uh, and it maintains being quite funny whilst still having some quite raw, like emotional moments, particularly... Hmm. Um, particularly from Florence Pugh and, and from David Harbour, who is sort of this fallen soldier. He's Russian, Russia's only super soldier, and he's basically just gone fat and alcoholic, and it's just fantastic. <laughs> um, but it's a really good movie. There's, it falls apart a little in the third act. Um, okay. I don't think that's unfair to say. It's sort of 
it feels quite grounded before then and then it gets a bit sort of too oh well we need to we need to go a bit crazy here so we like have a lot of you know we've we've got this big cgi budget we need to blow so let's 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 get into that um mm. but it is it's a really good movie it's a solid it's you know it's solid seven out of ten uh 7.5 out of ten there's absolutely there's a few issues with it but it's, it's very it's very rewatchable okay. um if you rank in the MCU movies, I'd put it probably sort of between 12 and 10, that sort of range. So it's it's pretty good. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts and to, to really dive into it. It's quite hard. It's, I'm, I've never been very good at talking about stuff without giving away spoilers. Um, I've, I've heard a variety of things said. I've genuinely heard people say that it's really good. I've genuinely heard people say it's really bad. I've heard the middle. I'm I'm going in with um, with even expectations um i like the idea of a bond crawl uh very much interested in in that that bit um, so that it, I, it's probably not it doesn't come across as the best thing to say but that opening sequence is one of my favorite things of that movie you know it, it's not no, usually plot related but it's just done yeah. so well and i'd love to see this be a thing in phase four moving onwards um, yeah to sort of try i don't know if it's just if it's just for this movie or if when we go see shang chi in september we're going to get a similar thing um mm. but if they do go down that road they handled this one brilliantly um and it's nice. you know we, we used to love like if you're a fan of the bond movies one of your favorite things to look forward to was always that open sequence mm-hmm. um and they they yeah they really knocked this one out of the park um it was really impressive nice yeah no i'm, I'm excited um and uh, I hope to give you some raw ass opinions in a week's time. Um, I should explain the only reason I haven't seen it is because uh, I tried to book to go see it where I was staying down south and the cinema had fully booked all of the seats. So that's a good sign, I suppose, yeah, in I terms mean, of money. I went, I went on Wednesday night and it was, it, was as, it was as full as a cinema can be right now. Nice. I, try, I try not to get sort of too into like the like box office numbers and the business side of, of movies and stuff like that because a lot of it goes over my head to be honest um mm-hmm. but from everything i've read the sort of the early box office numbers for this are pretty great and they're easily the biggest of the sort of pandemic era of movies so you know and mm-hmm. i think anyone sort of talking about superhero movie fatigue is um they're sort of been showing up a bit like there's, there's clearly still a huge appetite for these movies um and I know, understand that obviously Scarlett Johansson's a very recognisable name compared to um, compared to Shang Chi, for instance. But um, there's clearly the appetite for these movies is clearly still there, and it's not going away anytime soon. Um, no, I'd go as far to say is I'm quite cynical um, and have commitment commitment issues with media um, rather than people. My my commitment issues are are with bits of information, music, film. I kind of don't do the same thing. And then I move on very quickly because I'm bored of it. I've got a good memory for music. So I pretty much only listen to an album three or four times before I'm done next thing. And um, I'm I'm excited to go see some more superhero films. So if I am, uh, then I, I imagine all of you are too. I mean, there's a, there's a lot coming out soon. Before, before we get to Loki, just to sort of mention, um, the Suicide Squad comes out next month as well. That's Oh, so excited about yeah, that. that we, we, we haven't really covered DC much um in this podcast uh but i'm and i'm not a big fan of and i'm i'm, I'm not a big fan of dc eu so to speak mm. i'm not even sure that really exists anymore no, I don't think um, so. but uh, i do have a i do have a marvel versus dc comparison coming later which i try and steer clear of but uh, i've got one for you 
But having said that, the Suicide Squad looks fantastic. I was, when the first trailer came out, I was sort of quite underwhelmed. Um, but every bit of content that's come out since then, I'm, I'm fully in. It looks, it looks brilliant. Uh, James Gunn, we, we've mentioned him before. We, I think in our first episode together, we talked about Guardians 2. Um, he just knows how to make these movies. Um, and I think, I think it's going to be fantastic. So I can't wait for that. So that's going to be our next uh, sort of big review we're going to cover. Um, nice, yeah. Sort of, uh, I, think early, I think it's like the 5th or 6th of August, I think. Um, so we've got, uh, yeah, so but we'll discuss Black Widow next week. Um, and obviously we'll tie that in with discussing the Loki finale. Um, in between the uh, that, that episode and the Suicide Squad, we've got, I've got, I've got a fun little project planned for us. Nice. But uh, yeah, so we've got we've got plenty of stuff to be talking about in the next few weeks, which is really well, the next few years to be honest, which is really exciting. <laughs> um, cool, man. So, do you want to get into Loki? Yes, yes, please. Eager. Cool. How do you like? Do you like this episode? Very much so. Yeah, um, it, it was. I think it was the best of the uh, of the episodes thus far, and that's high praise because I've really, really enjoyed this series. Um, I said it before when we when we reviewed the very first episode. This for me is what I wanted the previous Marvel series to be. Um, it, it has impact, and I care about the characters, and it's funny, and the action's good. And um, yeah, no, this this episode's a standout. It's a standout mainly because, as we discussed previously, it is odd um, and a bit crazy in the most beautiful way. Um, I loved it. I, I shout out to uh, the crocodile version of Loki. Um, he's my favorite. Alligator. Alligator. Oh, sorry, I've, I've misnamed him. Apologies, <laughs> Alligator Loki. You I, literally, were I literally did a tweet last week after the post credit scene of episode four, and was like, I can't wait to see Lo- uh, Croc Loki. And then I got like, some uh. like, random fan account replied to me and was like, "Excuse me, it's an alligator." Sorry. Sorry. But yeah. No, I agree, man. I thought it was fantastic. It was uh, wonderfully crazy. Um, did you? I mean, I, I, I don't. I might be completely wrong with this, and it might be because I'm currently rewatching Lost. I got a lot of Lost vibes from this episode. Uh... The void is the void being the islands. There's this big smoke monster. There's a hatch. Yeah. There's all these like yeah. weird things going on. Um, yeah, you, now you've said that, it, it does kind of thread through and link. Um, I mean, obviously, I you know, I don't think we're, I don't think episode six is going to end in a church, but um, <laughs> I thought it was just sort of these fun little, you know, things they sort of pull from these influences they pull from other shows. As a, you know, just to go go back to Black Widow very briefly. Um, there's a have you seen Midsummer? Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a there's a Midsummer. very fun Midsummer Easter egg in Black Widow. Oh, nice, cool. Um, and um, which I liked, but I, I found like there was a quite a lot of lost in this episode. Um, but uh, yeah, there was all, all sorts of like hidden things, and that actually leads me on. So I want to I want to do this thing with you. How many of like the the Easter eggs have you seen that were in the void? Um, I think bearing in mind, I watched on my phone. I spotted uh, yeah, I spotted Mjolnir. And I spotted, um, there was like a jar with something in. I tried pausing, but so, I couldn't right. really make it out. So let's have a, let's have a, let's have a little segment. Let's okay. Jack's Easter egg corner. <laughs> Settle down, kids. You know, we've got, yeah. we've got some fun coming up. So 
there was the, the void sort of acted to me as this sort of playground for Marvel just to throw in loads of weird shit as like teasers to like possible future stories like references to comics and stuff um and this is one of the most easter egg filled things i've seen in the mcu it was like a, a expanded version of the collector's vault from guardians and um i think he's in infinity war as well um so we had throg so throg is frog thor Her, yeah so that's from sort of comics canon and he's in that little jar don't know why he's there but love that there was the Thanos copter, which is from a, I think it's from a, a Spider-Man run in like the 70s. And Thanos has a helicopter that has the name Thanos. This <laughs> is called the Thanos copter. It's one of like, a, as your, your mum would put it, zany. Uh, <laughs> it's a very zany bit of comic, comics canon. Uh, <laughs> and in the void, there was just this yellow copter that had Thanos written on it. Absolutely love that. <laughs> um, I, still just thought, I just thought that was fantastic. Um, one of the things at the end of the post-credit scene of episode four that people talked about was, oh, this looks like New York because someone spotted what they thought was Avengers Tower. In this episode, we, we saw it was the exact same design as Avengers Tower, but it had, uh, instead of the A, it had um, Kang written on it. Kang is a corporation from Marvel's comics which is owned by Kang the Conqueror under an alias. So there's a, another little sort of Kang the Conqueror sort of tease for us. Um, somewhere in the distance of the void was Stephen Strange's um, Sanctum Sanctorum. Uh, there was just so much. And I thought it was just, it was just like a little playground with some just a dot, little things about. Um, there's loads more. I think someone from um, comicbook.com has done like a seven or eight minute video, just sort of listing everything that they sort of has been spotted in there. Um, nice but no I, I love this episode man i thought it was great um i want to get into richard e grant in a bit because i thought he was i thought as a sort of a small as a one episode arc or just a brief appearance to the mcu that was top tier um, yeah it was incredible um but no it was a great episode it's per, you know marvel have, have done these penultimate episodes three times now and they've knocked them all out of the park um and both times before that the you could argue the struggle to hit the landing. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, I'd argue you, that, yeah. Yeah, you weren't a big fan of the One Division finale. I thought it was fine. It was good, but, it was, you know, compared to previous episodes, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, I, and the, the I, Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale, I thought was very generic. Um, yeah, I, I struggled. I did. Um, I like a cerebral story. Um, the, the crashy, landy, punchy, jumpy stuff is fine um but it has to mean something and it has to have impact and i don't think the captain america um wind soldier stuff it didn't it didn't land for me forever i enjoyed it i didn't dislike it but i when i finished it i didn't think i'll watch that again yeah. like with this i'm like you know what i will be coming back to this series yeah, eventually I think, I think one of the things that i think that one of the real triumphs of this episode is it has perfectly set up uh, a season finale that looks like it can land yeah um, it looks you know and i'm gonna get into i think i tweeted earlier in the week one of my sort of big fears um but it looks like we're gonna get sort of two storylines next week we're gonna get loki and sylvie venturing into this castle that's in the void yeah it's not in the void it's you know beyond the void um and then we're also going to get mobius and sort of 
I'm assuming Hunter B15 sort of back in the TVA um, when all sorts of shenanigans are going to come up there. Um, but it's sort of very clear going into next week, going into Wednesday, like where we are, there's still loads of mysteries. This whole show has been built on mystery and questions. Um, but this is the most confident I've been out of the three series so far that they can really stick the landing for the finale. So your your worry, as I understand it, is that when the curtain is drawn back, it won't be Kang, uh, despite the hints up to that point. Uh, your worry is that it will be another variant of Loki, right? Yeah, so it's... I think I'm leaning now towards it'll, it almost 100% will be another Loki. Um, if anyone's seen the sort of the trailers and the sort of various TV spots for it, there's one scene we haven't seen yet, which is Loki sort of on what looks like a Asgardian throne in like a big throne room. Oh yeah, of course. I do and remember we, that. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet. Um sorry, I'll zoom one Um and we haven't seen that yet. So I, it seems strange for them to give away what would be sort of the final twist in promotional material. So um, you told me previously that Ravenna Renslayer is um she like is she married to Kang? Is she they have like a, a mistress a, they have of like Kang? A love relationship, yeah. Love relationship. Yeah, well she she clearly doesn't know either who he is yeah. um or um or doesn't know that he's in show because she is looking just like they are to see who's behind the curtain. And that interested me about that that kind of move was I kind of half expected because Ravenna was aware of um, everyone being a, a variant, basically. I thought that she'd have more knowledge. I think thought she she's obviously got her set of soldiers who are in the know in terms of they know that everyone's a variant, basically, and they they're just you know set up to to wipe people out when they find that out, basically. I imagine, um, but she she was um, genuinely unsure who's behind the curtain but also not actually that surprised that the the three great um lizard men are just robots yeah um, this, this did you is nothing that was a bit strange yeah this is one of the biggest questions i've got is next week i think the, the sort of question that's on everyone's mind is what's inside of this of this castle but i think one of the also most interesting things is like still is like who is Ravonna? like what does she know what's her mm. role in all this because you know, like you just said, like I was all, I was sort of under the impression that she knew everything that was going on and she was sort of playing this game within a game like all the Lokis are, as um, as mentioned by Mobius in this episode. Um, but the way episode five played out, she, she really does seem like she's in the dark just as much as we are. Yeah. Um, which sort of fascinates me and I don't really know where that's going because I don't know if that's just an act by her but I don't know why it would be because it, it didn't play like it was an act at all no um, this is I've just I was so surprised and taken aback by her reaction to the events because she was neither completely blown away by what was happening in front of her nor was she certain about what was happening um I just maybe it was a weird directorial thing I don't know but maybe we'll get more it just it seems like a contradiction and I don't understand what yeah. where that is going um but but nonetheless um I'm really interested to see what happens I've I couldn't tell you what my best guess of what would happen in the next episode will be um other than obviously the good guys will win 
uh, in some way, shape or form. So <laughs> I'm glad you've said that because there's one, there's this really interesting theory going around at the minute. But there's, there's two really interesting theories that I want to mention. Okay. One, it, one makes complete sense, but just sort of feels weird. And that that is the, the sort of big bad of this series, or at least one of the most influential characters in the final episode will be Miss Minutes. Okay. Yeah. The, so, the, okay. The, yeah. <laughs> so the Miss Minutes obviously, you know, knows everything. She has access to all the knowledge. She has access to the knowledge about the start of time and the end of time, we assume. Um, and that she is letting on much less than she knows. This would obviously be quite underwhelming for the villain of the series to be a sort of a southern belle as a, a little orange clock. <laughs> um, I mean, she's she's cute as fuck, but like, um, and I, I want one. But yeah, I uh, I'm not sold on the sinister side of that character. Yeah, neither just am I. I, I just it's an interesting theory, and a lot of people are buying into it. But I think it'd be quite underwhelming. <laughs> the other theory is that tying into what I was saying earlier about this feeling like a lost episode and Mobius using the phrase the long con um, which is a, a sort of a, a sort of a scene apart from lost that involves um, Sawyer's character there's a really interesting theory that uh, Mobius is a villain Mobius and Ravonna are in this together and they know way more than they are letting on and this is a whole mm. long con to draw sort of all the Lokis together to draw them into whatever this castle place is um, to sort of reveal their, their grand plan of, of sort of victory um, and I'm not sure about that because I'd be fucking devastated if, if Mobius turns out to be a bad guy <laughs> yeah if after we got their sort of um, them reuniting that was like really sort of really sweet hug. Um, I loved that so much. Yeah, I really was, did. Just it, that was that was really beautiful. Are we gutted if it yeah. turns out that it's all a game within a game? Um, and you know, Mobius, it's, it's sort of a, it's a trick, it's a setup. Um, I'm not sure we will get it, um, but I do. I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be amazed if there isn't some form of um, betrayal in the finale. Mm. Um, this is a Loki show. You know, we've got two Lokis in the show, possibly three, because there's a theory that Mobius is a Loki, um, which uh, I yeah, think is quite cool. interesting. <laughs> um, but I think there will be a betrayal in the final episode. It's, you know, thematically, it just makes so much sense for for this to happen. Mm. Um, and I think it, where, wherever it comes, because you imagine it will come between our Loki, Sylvie, or Mobius. And, and you know some form in that triangle it'll be gutting um mm -hmm. but you're all right it's, it's one of those things it's it's so hard to predict where next week goes because there's so many sort of theories and ideas flying about well there's so many possibilities because we're now in this sort of very multiversal story where there's all sorts of timelines and variants of every character it's, it's um, a beautiful setup um because i feel like if if they can narratively tie the knot um, it'll be immensely satisfying because I genuinely can't really see where exactly this is going. And I think if you'd have asked me one episode, the penultimate episode of, of um, I don't know, Captain America Winter Soldier, I probably could have told you that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, that 
yeah but i'm i'm psyched um i would like i've written notes uh whilst i was watching i, I wrote down on a piece of paper because i was watching on my phone which is great <laughs> um i wrote really enjoyable opening shots um i think it was a single single camera zoom and opens upside down in the tva then moves through a wall into the void um and I remember specifically thinking that is a beautiful piece of cinematography. Um, I really enjoyed it visually. And um, yeah, just shout out to that. That's great. Can I just um, briefly there? Yeah, 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 go on. So I just want to mention this. One of the things that I think has been fantastic about the show, I'm not going to get too much into it, but cinematography has been incredible. And I can't remember her name. I'm going to have to do the Google thing again. The, the woman who has done the cinematography for this show has been hired to do the cinematography for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Oh, okay. Um, which I think is great. Um, I'm super excited for that movie. Um, and the first one was obviously visually incredible. So uh, I think we're just going to get more of that. But uh, I think if there's, one, if there's one thing you could criticise the Marvel Universe for being is it is cinematically... Uh, sorry, not cinematically. Cinematography cinematographically is that a word let's roll with it let's roll with that um is uh let's say visually less less interesting because it does repeat quite a lot of um the kind of use of frames characters within frames color palettes etc etc especially the captain america stuff it, it is a lot of a man in an army suit in gray lands from a falling building and lands on concrete and does a hero pose um that that for me is probably the one of the weakest things about the marvel universe um i am also i've kind of hinted at this previously with my discussion about uh, mass effects but i am a huge sucker for practical effects and um you know real life shots rather than cg shots um i don't whatever part of my brain that is uh, reads imagery is not fooled pretty much ever by CG effects. Um, I, I, it goes so far as to say that I didn't even enjoy quite a lot of the cinematography in The Mandalorian because it was all digital. Yeah. Um, I understand that's a niche opinion. I understand most cinema is digital these days, but I am a sucker for this is a real person in a real street and we've decided to make the camera do this because it would look more interesting. And if you if you were going to give a critique of the Marvel Universe, you could argue that despite the costumes and effects, quite a lot of the framing, quite a lot of the cinematography is much a muchness, but not in the case of this opening shot and Loki. It piqued my interest. I was, I was immediately, my eyes were like, that's fucking cool. Um, I was kind of just reading the screen whilst it swirled around yeah. and then was mesmerized as it disappeared into a different place altogether. Um, much like any of the weird bits in Fight Club where the camera zooms through a cup of coffee and ends up the other side of a toaster. Um, yeah. But yeah, big fan. I mean, I'm just I'm going to do one, say one last tangent. I'm doing more tangents later today because I just fucking love a tangent. But uh, just before you carry on with your notes, um, I do disagree with you, but I, you know, and I completely see your point of view. Um, a, a lot of the MCU sort of cinematographically, I, I can't say you can't even say that fucking word, but yeah, <laughs> a lot of it I completely understand what you mean. The sort of the Captain America bits. I think when it gets into the more sort of cosmic sort of realm, um, 
I've I've loved the I've loved the cinematography and the CGI of it. I think it's been fantastic. But the, the sort of thing I wanted to mention is with the upcoming Eternals movie, um, mm. almost all of that's been shot on location with practical effects and stuff. I mean, obviously, Richard Madden isn't actually going to be shooting laser beams out of his fucking eyeball. <laughs> but, um, for that, the most that... part, from everything I've read, Chloe Zhao said, "I want to do this as naturally as possible." Because I don't know if you saw perhaps the, is... I don't know if you saw the Kevin Feige quote where apparently in her. Oh, so, <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Kevin Feige is possibly the most one of the most powerful men in Hollywood. Right. And apparently, in Chloe Zhao's pitch of Eternals, she came in with lots of like footage of like waves hitting a shoreline and stuff like this. Like she was like, "This is the sort of aesthetic I want." And apparently, Kevin Feige was like, "How did you get the CGI to look so real?" <laughs> <laughs> this, and this is apparently it's dead true um, I think he's given interviews about it since where he's like I just couldn't believe that she got the water to do that and then he was like and then I realised it was water and it's like oh my god like I feel like we've strayed too far from practical effects here <laughs> to the Amazing. point where literally someone thinks all water must be CGI but um, but yeah that was that was fascinating but um yeah, I, I I do disagree with you. I think it, I think in terms of the more sort of cosmic things, which obviously Loki falls under, um, the cinematography can be a lot more unique, mm. um, and perhaps the way you the way you phrased it, I thought was quite good. Where you, you're sort of you're you're not fooled by it. Um, for me, it's always been, I've sort of been able to sort of stretch my imagination quite a lot more and suspend quite a lot and just. It's a level of it is a level. It's varying degrees of suspension of disbelief. Um, I I can I can suspend my disbelief very easily. It's not a it's not a um, a diehard rule for me. It's not like if if it's a completely CG film, I will hate it. It's just a film is going to get higher marks from me the more it is performed physically. Um, you know, I um, I grew up in the nineties. Action films in the nineties were all people on wires and stunt doubles jumping from, you know, car to car. And yeah, quite a lot of 90s action films are trash. Um, and Marvel films are fundamentally, for the most part, better action films than quite a lot of those kind of Hollywood, you know, action films in the, in the 90s. But um, films like Mad Max Fury Road, for example. That's um, what I was just about to say, yeah. You can't, the reason that that gives you an adrenaline rush is because you are watching a human being on a huge, weird, like, wire thing bouncing up and down with a chainsaw on the top of a moving lorry through a sandstorm. Yeah. And yeah, sure, the sandstorm's not there, but that's a moving lorry and that's a human being with a chainsaw. Yeah. And that's where you get that blood rush. If you did Mad Max Fury Road um, as an animated film, it wouldn't work because the, the it's not got a good story. Not really. It's not really got characters that, you know, you cry when they die. What you're really interested in is the spectacle of watching this crazy shit happen and how aesthetically pleasing it is. Um, as someone who, who rates Mad Max Fury Road very, very highly, quite a lot of digital effects and uh, CG backdrops for me they just don't, they don't click in my brain as much, but it's not a complete write-off. It's not, I'm not interested in this. It's just, they lose points in my brain. So I'm a bit like, well, yeah, I prefer, I prefer a man jumping from a car to another car. 
Okay, every every week our tangents get longer and longer and longer. But we were just talking about the opening shot of Loki, and somehow we ended up with like a five minute discussion on fucking Mad Max Fury Road, which is a, is one of the greatest action movies of all time. But it's uh, it's, it's very important. So it is very this, important. this this is the meat. This is the meat of it. Anyone can go and read the synopsis of of Loki, but if you want that's, opinions, that's the thing. This, man, is, exactly. this is this is it, man. Exactly. Anyone anyone can go read the synopsis Loki and hear someone just sort of dully sort of chat about it for 20 minutes. We, we'll, we'll chat about it for five minutes and then one of us will say something and we'll chat about, you know, the falling out stars for 10 minutes. It's so fucking weird like that. I don't know how we get there, but we did it. Um, should we go back to your notes? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't write um, a whole lot more because we've discussed things like the Richard, uh, the Richard E. Grant Loki, obviously. Let's, let's, Do you want to talk about? Yeah, the, yeah. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Richard E. Grant. The classic. So he was playing classic Loki, which yeah. I know I was sort of talking about the Easter eggs earlier. That was one of my favorite things. So the episode was called uh, Journey into Mystery, which, for those of you who don't know, is the um, name of the comic book run that Thor and Loki were first introduced. This is. Um, that's the name of the, the original stories that they came in from. Oh. And Richard D. Grant's classic Loki is that is the aesthetic of our very first Loki, um, which I thought was a really nice nod. Um, before we get into um, his sort of arc in this episode and his performance, I just thought it's important to reference that because that was a really nice sort of thing to show with all these Disney Plus series shows. I'm was expecting them to sort of follow along from quite a lot of like very modern comic book stories. Um, and in actuality, they've actually gone quite far into the past and a lot of them are paying homage to some sort of very early comic runs, which I think is great. Um, and yeah, I just want to give a brief shout out to that because I thought it was fantastic. No, that's but, cool, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of Richard E. Grant in this episode? He's, I'm assuming we have positive thoughts. Yeah, no, he's, um, he's amazing obviously um he's pitch perfect absolutely pitch perfect he strikes that balance between looking ridiculous but completely selling you on the idea that this is a this is a person who who exists in a timeline where everyone looks a bit like that um and um yeah he, he commanded authority on the screen like he always does and he was funny and uh, hugely likable uh, some some actors just have that X factor of just being likable when they're on screen. Um, and Rich D. Grant has always had that. And yeah, I enjoyed him immensely. Um, and sad that he, he won't be back for the last episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was a it was an incredible, incredible performance for sort of what was essentially about 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. He had a sort of an incredibly fully formed arc. Um, I want to I want to talk about his, his final sort of little scene, his his you know, when he sort of he, he walked off to sort of leave and then comes back and saves them because I thought thematically it was really beautiful and really encapsulated a lot of the themes of the show and a lot of themes of Loki the character. Yeah. One of the things we've spoken about is this show being about sort of self-love and, and self-appreciation and and realizing sort of who you sort of think you need to be isn't who you are. You can make your own choices and stuff. Um, but a lot of this is also about for me has been a sort of about the sort of family we choose as well. Um, and for classic Loki to sort of come back, you know, he sort of turned his back on this conflict that was coming and quote unquote sort of saved his own skin as it's, you know, we've expected Loki's to do since the very beginning of the MCU. 
for him to make that choice, come back and conjure this illusion, which could have been anything, but he conjured Asgard, which is home. Um, I thought it was so, so beautiful. And for him, for that to be his, you know, we've used the phrase quite a lot, but for that to be his glorious purpose, um, I just thought it was, I thought it was so touching and I thought they absolutely nailed it. Mm, me too. The uh, the Marvel vs. DC comparison I want to make, and I, I hate doing this because I hate being one of people, <laughs> oh, Marvel's better than DC, oh, DC's better than Marvel. Fuck off, just enjoy both. Um, but in, have you seen, you've seen Zack Snyder's Justice League? I have, yes, for um, all four hours of all it. All four hours. Um, I'm, I'm not a big DC movie fan. I think, I just think they've been off tonally and I've not liked many of the performances. Um, when Zack Snyder's Justice League came out, there's a scene towards the end where Ezra Miller's Flash sort of taps into the, to the Speed Force. And people were talking about it at the time as the sort of greatest scene of, you know, in like comic book movie history, which I just, it, I just didn't get it at all. I just didn't find it. I didn't find it epic. I didn't find it emotional or anything. I just didn't vibe with it. And maybe that's because I sort of have this aversion to those films because... I just sort of been let down and sort of feel like they're quite totally off. Mm. This felt like quite a similar scene to me. Um, it was this sort of very like epic climax of someone's arc, but this played out within the space of, like I said, 10 minutes of screen time, not four hours. Yeah. And it was a million times more impactful and epic. Um, and there was still that humour in it. Like he had this ridiculous grin on his face as he screamed like glorious purpose. <laughs> and it just felt so like triumphant, exactly what our like hero story should be as sort of laughing in the face of evil. Um, I just thought it was, I thought it was just absolutely magical. I can't speak highly enough of Richard E. Grant's performance as classic Loki, but that scene in particular, that is one of what is easily probably my favourite particular sequence of the Disney Plus era of the MCU um, I just I, it just blew me away and I couldn't stop smiling after and I also felt quite emotional um, but I just wanted to I wanted to make that comparison because sort of it felt quite similar in what it was sort of going for and I just think mm. it was just it, 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 well, it's not even close like the way that Marvel just gets these characters and gets what our audience what the audience is looking for mm. um, I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, no, um, I thought it was great. Um, Rich D. Grant is is amazing, and I like the final moments. I, um, yeah, I mean, not to speak too much about DC, but um, I read I read DC comics, but I don't like the films. Um, so, so yeah, but I have seen all of them. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't I don't hate them as much as some people do, but. I mean, four hours is too long for a, a black and white film about people getting together to fight a, a big bad. Um, so, so yeah. And uh, but but hey ho, each their own. Um, I'm not a Marvel stan or a DC stan. I, I like what I like. Um, but yeah, Marvel films are infinitely superior. So I, mean, I, I, I fully admit at this point, I am just like a Marvel stan. I like I do I do admit it. Um, I, I want to enjoy DC movies, but I just can't because for the most part, they've just been shit. I will say that in the upcoming Flash film, I have seen pictures of um, Michael Keaton on oh, set. Oh, I'm, um, I'm hyped. And uh, that that would be fucking cool. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I think I think it'd be really interesting for us to have a conversation about the DCU one episode, actually. Um, because I think 
since its sort of inception, and it's another fucking ridiculous tangent we're on now. This was my fault. Since its inception with like obviously Man of Steel, we had this sort of the Snyderverse being born, and then it got got pushed away, partly because of studio executives were not wanting to do that, and obviously partly because of the uh, tragedy involving his daughter. Um, and then we sort of went in this sort of weird shift where we had the the, the first Suicide Squad film, which is. I think you can make a very legitimate argument. It's the worst comic book movie of all time. I think it's, it's definitely up there. Um, and now we're in this weird place where we've had Zack Snyder's Justice League, but no one knows if that's even like canon. Um, and we're moving forward, and it, it, we do. We no one really knows sort of what exists in the universe, what exists outside of it. Obviously, we've got a, a Batman film coming up with Robert Pattinson in it, which isn't connected. I'm really looking forward to that, by the way. Just, just yeah, FYI, I think that'll be, be, I think that'll be phenomenal. That's, I think that's one of the, this is a tangent within a tangent, but that's one of the best trailers I've ever seen. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I thought it was phenomenal. But I think this is the problem where you have all sorts of characters on sort of different universes and different sort of projects being made. You know, this talk of a a new Superman film coming out that um, it's sort of been um, towered. It's going to, they're going to do sort of a, a black Superman, but no one's come out and said that Henry Cavill isn't Superman anymore. And then there's a Superman TV show currently on the minute. And it's just, it's it, the whole thing seems so muddy at the minute. And I think no one really knows what's going on. And I think when you compare that to sort of this incredibly streamlined sort of monster that is the MCU, um, where it's all very clear where everything fits and where things don't fit, um, looking at sort of previous franchises and stuff. I, yeah, it's just night and day at the minute. But I, I would love to talk about the DCEU, DCEU with you going forward because I think, I think a lot yeah. of upcoming projects look. I'd very, I'd very much like to. Um, I feel like my opinion on the DC stuff is not reflected very much online. Um, so I think audiences might actually like to hear my opinion yeah. and they might feel uh, strongly against my point of view or you might agree, which would be nice too. Yeah, um, agreeing is always nice. Always leave comments below if you hate my guts. Uh, love to hear, love to hear it. Um, going back to Loki, one of the things I want to talk about as well, which I thought was genius, was the the battle of the Lokis um, in yeah. the match. Um, I thought that's that's that must have, I can't imagine how much fun that must have been to film, particularly for Tom Hiddleston, who <laughs> adores this role. Um, but I think from the moment sort of he, he leaves the hatch and, and this President Loki's there with all these other variants and President Loki says, I think he says, um, now which one of us are you? Which I just think is just such a funny line. Also, you were spot on last week. That, that was exact, yeah. that, that, that Loki would be another one that he would be the leader of a pack. Lee, you were spot on. I'm, I'm, pleased, I'm pleased with that call because uh, I think yeah. a lot of people Good are like, oh, where's, where's, how's, how's, our, how's our Loki going to sort of become this role? And I was like, no, that's a different one. And, I, and that's where, and sort of going back to what we were talking about with uh, who the sort of man behind the curtain of this is going to be, um, I think it does look likely that this sort of King Loki we're seeing on this throne is going to be a, another variant, possibly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that, again, won't be our Loki, but um, to get sidetracked. But I, I loved this uh, this sort of battle of the Lokis, this, this scene with sort of President Loki, Mayor Loki, whatever we're calling him was really hyped in the trailers and for him to have essentially like 10 seconds of screen time, get his so arm bitten off by an alligator Loki <laughs> let out, <laughs> let out what was the funniest on-screen scream I've ever heard. 
um, and just for it to all end up in chaos and all these Lokis have got betrayals planned for everyone else and uh, I thought that was that I thought that scene was just absolute madness and chaos on screen it was perfect um kid kid Loki and alligator Loki I don't know if you noticed they uh they did get help kid Loki, yeah like through alligator Loki and yeah, uh, loads yeah. of other Lokis and um yeah I, I thought that was fantastic uh, that was another real highlight of this episode yeah no it was great um I thought the the Biting off the hand was actually more violent than I, I thought it yeah. would be in the MCU. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, no, um, it was cool as, as hell. And played for laughs in the perfect way that it, it probably needed to be. Um, and yeah, no, um, really good scene. And it just, uh, like like all the best episodes of this, it, it moves it forward. It just it just propels into the next thing into the next thing into the next thing with with silky smooth transition and no jaggedy bits of pause or or bad pacing it's just like a rocket ship boom um and yeah it was it was fucking it's top really enjoyed it um and uh yeah i don't think i had any I, I guess i've not really considered this but i didn't really have a strong reaction to that scene in particular because I think I was just really invested. And it's a it's a quality of the show that I was really invested in what was happening with Sylvie, what was happening with Loki um, and Mobius. I haven't said, but Mobius turning up to pick um, Sylvie up in that car with a pizza on a spring on the top of it um, was so good. I so enjoyed that. Um, and I was so happy that he wasn't dead in some way, shape or form. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's... Um, I keep recalling moments in the episode whilst we're talking about it. It's it's damned good. Yeah. I'm just so fascinated. I've not got a whole lot left to say on my list thingy um, that we've not already gone over. It's sold me on the Loki Sylvie stuff. I, I'm now okay with them fucking. Yeah. If they, if they want to bang, go for it. Yeah, I mean, if, if right they behind them, like, just raw dog at the end of episode six. Yeah, man. I'm cool. Yeah, I'll cheer. Uh, yeah. Great to see Mobius alive again. Um, oh yeah, there was an interesting comment about um, Mobius not being all that good. And that might be the reason that him and Loki get on when he, I think he's in the car with Sylvie um, and they're talking about, it might be to do with the TVA, but I just wrote down that there was an interesting comment about Mobius not being all that good. And that might be the reason that him and Loki get on because I never really considered him as anything but good because although he works for the TVA who are evil, he himself is just a man doing a job and he's always displayed a level of flexibility when it comes to Loki when it comes to looking at context and I just thought he was a good person so it's just an interesting comment um the Mobius hope was very talked while, about while we're on the yeah topic, go on. Mobius, I just want to mention um obviously I really briefly mentioned like a, a theory that's out there earlier that Mobius is oh, a, yeah. another form of Loki and I just yeah. want to bring that up now just while we're discussing him because the only people we see in the void are Loki variants Mm. Um, and Mobius is the only one that isn't, he stands out and I think that is where a lot of this sort of theory comes from and that possibly lends into another reason why him and Loki bond and click so well because when um, when Loki's reunited with Mobius and Sylvie and he turns to introduce him to sort of kid Loki and alligator Loki and classic Loki he introduces them as his friends he clearly has an affinity for other Lokis yeah um, and I think that's I think that's really interesting to me. Um, these all these people he's bonded with in the show, Bar Mobius, 
have just been other versions of himself, which is obviously feeds into sort of this quite thematic narcissism that the character has. Um, but I do think it's really interesting to see how that will play out and if that theory does have any legs, because like I said, the only people in this void are Lokis apart from Mobius. And you just wonder if there is something to that, I think. Yeah, no, it's um, it's so well written in terms of that. And the, the, the mere fact that characters can say just kind of lines here and there and, and you as an audience member who's invested in it can not just go crazy and be like a fan person and be like, wow, this universe now exists because this person said this one thing, but it, it adds, it all adds to the characters. Um, and that's so special. Um, and yeah, I, I can't, I, I'm finding it hard to criticize this. Um, I mean, obviously didn't like that, the, the episode before last um, for pacing reasons. Yeah. Um, but thus far, this series has been damned good. Like if this, if this was an, a series of the X Files, it'd be you know top top two or three maybe. Yeah. I think, <laughs> uh, before we finish, I've got a final question before we finish. But before we get to that, I just want to say, and I, I might I might just be being like a, a silly little Marvel stan who okay. is in is in a real world. But do you think there is a level of elitism when it comes to shows like this? In that, if this wasn't a Marvel Studios show, obviously it's still been talked about all over the world i think i don't know if you've seen the numbers but it's easily the most watched show in the world at the minute but do you think it's critical sort of acclaim would be far greater if it didn't have the marvel studios tagline and if it was simply just a isolated crime thriller time hopping thriller thing i think um someone's expectations going to, going into something are altered if it has a marvel product stamp on it um we as an audience have a higher expectation of what we expect from Marvel products. Um, potentially, you know what? If um, if previous Marvel series that I've criticised weren't Marvel series, then uh, but then Captain America was a lot of smashy, grabby, punchy, landy. So mm, I, I don't know, man. I love this phrase uh, I, you have. I love this smashy, grabby, punchy, landy. I think it's. I, think I it's mean, very... that's what. That's that's the oil encompassing. That's what's physically happening all yeah, the time in those films. It is. I mean, it's a great summation of everything going on, for sure. <laughs> um, no, I, I I think the answer to your question is not no, but yes, probably. I think that pe I don't know whether people would like it more or less, or critics would, um, but their expectations would be vastly different. I think I think, um, I think specifically I'm talking about critics. Um, okay. Because I, I think th a lot of times, whether it's a Marvel product or whether it's. Uh, uh, or DC products or any, anything sort of within this sort of superhero industrial complex that exists within our pop culture now. Yeah. Whenever something that is made that has been sort of really exceptional, and under that I sort of put I put this, I put um, Black Panther, and I put Infinity War. I think as I think Infinity War is a as a two and a half hour movie that has that many plot threads to, to navigate and tell that story. I think that's masterfully done. Um, yeah, they are. They were received positively, but they weren't received. Apart from maybe with the exception of Black Panther, they weren't received necessarily with the critical acclaim that I think they perhaps should have been had it not fallen under this sort of IP umbrella. But again, as I said, maybe I'm just being sort of a butthurt Marvel fan. 
I think the reason that, um, and I actually kind of disagree, I think that they do get what they deserve. On If you look at Rotten Tomatoes scores, I very much agree with the vast majority of scores on there for Marvel products. Um, I, I, would, I would suggest that because film critics have to see a lot of films a week, um, they are, I, it's, it's to do with bias, I suppose, it's to do with opinion, I mean, it's all biases. Bias is not a word when it comes to criticism, everyone has an opinion, that's why you're writing. But um, if you are, if you're feeling oversaturated with Marvel products, if you're feeling like they all have a continuous, you know, action comedy kind of, you know, route or, or theme, then then you may eventually come to to be a bit like well we kind of know what we're getting on this one and then when it ticks that box you're like no nah, yeah it does as for infinity war you could you could suggest do you the fact that that film works is you need to watch all like 10 or 12 films before for it to work that is, which is a fair that one. yeah that that in itself if you any other film series and you were saying oh you'd love this film but you need to watch these 10 films beforehand if it was like a japanese film you'd never heard of and someone was like masterpiece but you need to watch these 10 films you'd be like fuck off no i'm not doing that which is a bit <laughs> it's possibly the least it's one of the least accessible blockbuster successes of all time because it does require significant amount of prior knowledge that a film does not work yeah. with any if you go watch that on its own and you've not seen anything else you'll just be like fuck, what the why do i care about any of this yeah, i will because i will concede that is a very it, point. the the film itself doesn't make an effort to win you over in terms of the stakes it no you are supposed to already know the stakes it, going yeah, it, into it, it, it. It, it there's a sort of a, a prerequis prerequisite of knowing yeah. you're already invested in these characters and these stories and these and these infinite stones yeah that's perfect yeah. i uh, i can see i can see defeat on my argument there. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. It's not about to feature. You're allowed to maintain your <laughs> your point of view. That's not what a debate is at all. But um, but yeah, no, I, I do tend to I tend to agree, and I am a, 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 a the kind of person that reads IMDb every piece of trivia and then looks yeah. at review scores, and I, I go on Rotten Tomatoes and I look at those scores, and I very often agree with the markings given. Um, obviously, IMDb is a fairer um, uh, example in terms of how they score films because it's an average rather than an aggregate um, but, uh, but yeah hey I mean if you love a film and everyone else in the world says it's shit then fuck those guys you have your own opinion and that, and and that is that where film. I that's where I, I do sort of fall I mean I'm I'm not put out by the sort of lack of like true critical acclaim and perhaps like awards recognition that the MCU hasn't mm. gotten and in that I'll include you know not necessarily like best best picture, but even being put down for sort of visual effects and stuff like that. I, I think it's kind of crazy that they are overlooked. Um, but at the end of yeah, the day, like, at the end of the day, if, if I come out of Black Widow and say oh, I think I really enjoyed it, and then there's all these you know fans on Twitter saying they thought it was shit, I don't care. At the end of the day, I enjoyed it, and that's all that matters. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Opinion, other people's opinions shouldn't influence your own, um, unless you are wrong. Um, and they're there and then then maybe reconsider but um if your opinion is that something's good and you enjoyed it then then that you know good, good for you man but those are the people that didn't enjoy it didn't have a good time they wasted their money exactly cool so <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was actually a really it was a really fun little debate that uh, I, I quite like it when me and you disagree i think it leads to quite i think interesting discussions. um cool so before we go i'm gonna sort of i want to finish with this question which is uh you know we've touched on it a bit in the last half an hour or so um 
But where is this going? Well, how, how does Loki wrap up? They could very easily kill everyone. That'd be the easiest way out. Uh, Loki's already dead in the universe. Uh, Sylvie's a new established character. All the other people are new established characters. Uh, they could they could kill everyone in one means or another and then open up the universe. It's obviously this is going to open up uh, the multiverse, right? That's that's where this is going. I'm it's assuming, just how does it get to that point? I'm assuming so. So this this is that was sort of where I wanted. I want, I'm glad you answered the question that way because there's been a lot of talk at the minute about um, oh where's the where's the trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home? Where's the trailer? Where's the trailer? Um, I imagine that that trailer won't come out until Loki is finished because yeah. I'm assuming at the end of this show there is some sort of multiversal opening, which is what directly leads into the plot of um, Spider-Man No Way Home. So I'm assuming that's where it goes. How we get there, I have no idea. Um, mm. And I think that's the question. You know, who is the who is the man behind the curtain? Is it is it just another Loki? Are we going to get like a, I mean, I think I put in my tweet that we've had so many nods, nods to Kang the Conqueror in this show that I don't think we'll see him by any means, but I'm leaning towards that we get some sort of reference to him, you know, his name is mentioned or we see like a, a mural, or like a portrait of him in that castle or something. Um, and that can be something, you know, for, for more casual fans to be like, oh, who's this? And then they do a bit of research and for fucking weirdos like me, I'm just not in my pants um but that that is where i see this show going is it being some sort of cracking open because dr strange in the multiverse of madness happens after spider-man um or at least released after spider-man so we'll assume it happens after spider-man do you think that this will be the opening of of the multiverse stuff and then it will come to a conclusion where it is closed again at some point in the future so that we do go back to having a single narrative so this this is the thing so the the the, the thing that makes me question whether we actually do get this sort of opening in the multiverse is that this isn't a movie this doesn't have whilst it does have an insane amount of eyes on it it doesn't have the eyes on it that a movie does and some people don't watch the disney plus shows so mm. if you go into Spider-Man No Way Home and it requires pre-requisite, pre- I've tried to say the word prerequisite and I can't fucking say it. <laughs> it requires prior knowledge of yes. the season finale of Loki. Some people are going to be lost. I do still think it does happen. But there's a, in terms of it sort of being then sort of closed at another point in time, I do think that comes, but I don't think that happens for quite a few years i think this i think the whole multiverse saga is where we are now we've we've done the infinity saga spider-man nowhere home dot strange in the multiverse of madness and the wasp quantumania sounds like it's going to be have something to do with this because kang the conqueror is confirmed to be the villain in that um, yeah i think this is where we are now i think eventually it will close back to a single narrative and once we get there I think that's where your Fantastic Four come into our world. That's where the mutants come into our world. Um, but I don't think we're there. You know, Fantastic Four has been confirmed. I'd imagine it will be released in 2024. Um, mm. <clears throat> X-Men, obviously, um, obviously we're going to get them at some point, but, you know, it's not been, it's not been mooted yet. Um, so I, I do agree with you. I do think it, I think it will sort of get closed back, closed back up at some point and then we're back to having a single narrative. But I'm talking like 
I think they're they're riding this out the same way they did with the Infinity Saga. I think this is going to be a huge, sprawling story. Um, And it gives them the chance to introduce so many new characters without having to ask the question of, oh, where were they when, uh, you know, Thanos was, like, attacking Earth? It's like, well, they were somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. They were over there. It's it's a really neat story device. um, And... um, they're so smart the way they tie all this shit together. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that. I actually think they might might open it up in a Marvel TV series like this, and then just expect people to watch it because they didn't have a you know previously on when everyone watched Infinity War. Um, and as I said, if you hadn't seen any of the other previous ones, which is unlikely because the box office returns, box office returns of those films, then you're fucked. Um, so, but I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe you maybe you hint at it being open in this one, and then Spider Man grabs those reins and then pulls it right wide open. Um, I think that's fair. I think I think that is the most likely sort of ending we see for next week, whether that is the ending or it's you know we get a sort of a concrete conclusion to to Loki, and then the sort of this multiverse opening is like just teased in like a post-credit sequence. I'd imagine there is a post-credit sequence next week. I hope so, yeah. But uh, I wonder if that's where they sort of tease it, or that's where they sort of, uh, they use that time to sort of drop the, the Kang the Conqueror nugget, or or whatever, for all I know, they're just going to do a comedic one that's just Owen Wilson riding a fucking jet ski, but <laughs> which, in the two, yeah, it would not surprise me if they actually did that. That'd be cool. um, I think there is a certain amount of like irreverence in this show, and Michael Walton oh, yeah. is the lead writer. I, I can, you know, based on the writing style we've seen from so far, I can 100% see him doing that. Um, but no, I think that's where it's going. I think it, I think this leads to some sort of branching of the timeline and possibly the sort of destruction of the TVA. Obviously, Mobius has said, I don't know if we work on the assumption that Mobius is still a good guy. He said he's going to go back and, and burn it down and you know, you wonder if that's what causes the causes the branches to sort of come and this all these splits to take place. But yeah, no, no TVA and those branches can grow, man. Yeah, um, so we'll see. But it is exciting, man. I think it's I think it's been five weeks. I mean, obviously you went wild on episode three, but I think it it's been a, a very enjoyable five weeks of television. Oh, for sure. Um, and it'll be a really interesting conclusion. The next, obviously, the next major show we've got coming out on Disney Plus. Uh, is the wife show which has got its first trailer this week which we will probably touch on but we won't cover as much in detail as we have done with loki because I, I think it'll be much less uh significant to the to the sort of wider mcu story mm-hmm. um so the further next show we have after that is the hawkeye show i think which Ooh, okay. i'm actually quite excited for i've always been I, I, I don't know if you listened to the episode i did with luke and we you're a big jeremy renner fan i'm a big jeremy renner fan i think the dude's a fucking weirdo have you ever listened to the Renner Files? No. Okay, right. I'll send you that. It's okay. a podcast. It's a podcast um, about two two people who are investigating his his app launch and the ongoings of the app, but they do it in the style of a crime documentary. It's <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah. He's, a weird, <laughs> he's a weird dude, but I, I'm looking forward to. Some, but I think come September time when Hawkeye releases, I think that's when it's Slayer to release. I'm looking forward to some to some some spicy Jeremy Renner talk because I think that show has the potential to be quite fun. Uh, Very fun, yeah. No, it, um, 
yeah <laughs> i love that you love jeremy renner so much it's so good genuinely not 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 in a like a facetious way i'm just excited i get excited about things because i'm interested in like niche stuff that people a lot the majority of people aren't interested in so when someone else is like you know what fucking jeremy renner is my it's my saint i'm like i love him man he's not like my favorite actor that. Time, but i fucking love him <laughs> cool, i man. have there you go um oh did i just send it to jess i think i just sent it to jess oops uh, <laughs> i just sent um sorry mistake i was trying to send you the link to, <laughs> i just said to see where <laughs> Nick's girlfriend is oh dear sorry about that no worries man cool well that's been a fun episode man i'm really excited for next week i think we'll have a lot to discuss next week thank you for listening yeah um, of course. as always had a good chat and um yeah we'll see, see you we'll next see, time. yeah we'll see you next week we'll, we'll be discussing loki and we'll we'll probably be doing a, a big sort of a big chat about black widow as well a big a spoiler filled chat about um the first film of phase four which is really exciting it's, mm. it's, it's, it's just nice to have them back in the cinema man um yeah i plan on seeing that probably maybe even tonight to be fair yeah it's um, it, it, I, it's, it's it's there was a, it was quite uh quite special for me to when the sort of opening crawl started and for, you know to have that back on the big screen is this it was a great moment so now man mm. so today's been fun um and we'll have a lot to talk about next week man so i'm i'm excited yeah yeah so cool this has been face forever thank you for listening guys <laughs>